0: Bud Light presents Real American Heroes. Real American Heroes. Today, we salute you, Mr. Pro Wrestling Wardrobe Designer. Mr.
1: Pro Wrestling Wardrobe Designer.
0: While lesser designers would shy away from putting 300-pound men in spandex, you embrace it. Yes, you do. Pushing fashion to its limits, literally, you pair tights with a cape, a leotard with a mask, leather boots with a thong, all understated ways of saying, I'm going to rip your head off and look fabulous doing it. So crack open a nice cold Bud Light, Mr. Pro Wrestling Wardrobe Guy, because without you, a man crushing another man's head in his arms would just look silly. Mr. Pro but like Deer and Isaac Bush St. Louis, Missouri.
2: It's your boy, Raspin Jones, getting ready to punch the clock and call it a day, little
3: kiddies. I just saw the snake slither into the complex, and I know he has the great Satchel Page on deck this week. I met Satchel once back in 1954 all of in Cuba. He said, Raspin, don't ever eat the fried foods that makes your blood angry. You're listening to the station, praise that day, slapping those hits across your lips. The scene, baby, here at BKP Radio, Little David from Pond Hanks, It's called Satchel Page Blues. Yeah, give me a chance.
4: Mine. Give me a chance Oh, I'll call you mine
2: Sit back, relax, and rock the nation. Give me a chance,
1: I'll blow your mind. Give me a chance, I'll blow your mind.
2: Yes, sir. Who's the greatest ball player of all time, in your opinion? Oh, Willie Mays, no doubt about it. That nigga could not hold my jockey tap. Excuse me, Mr. Cop, man is speaking. And I'd say the second greatest player is Jackie Robinson. Oh, Willie, you know that's horseshit. Well, Josh Gibson is the greatest catcher. What about Mickey Oh, uh, What about Capadella? Oh, hell yeah. You tried to steal on Campy and he run down there and tag your ass out. That's very poor firearm safety, Willie. Really, who would you say was the best base runner? Well, of course, the greatest base runner of all time isn't riding in this car. No? the fastest base runner of all time was Cool Papa Bell. Cool Papa Bell, my. Cool Papa Bell was so fast that one time he had a line drive up the middle that hit himself in the head sliding in the second bank. <laughs> <laughs> okay, best picture, best picture. Satchel Paige? Oh, Satchel Paige, he's <laughs> gonna poke your past the whoop Mr. Cobb, with that hesitation pitch, old Satchel would've Ooh. had you batting 220 and kissing his black ass to boot. I know you're so prejudiced. <laughs> well, you're only talking About nigger ball players. Prejudice? You calling (laughs) me prejudice? The man with the gun does the talking. You (laughs) wretched old prick.
1: Complex straight out of God's country, Qualies Island, South Carolina. The Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network proudly presents Backwards K
3: Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, Jake Robinson. Good moment, baseball universe. What is up? Once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson, from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Pawleys Island, South Kagalaki, half man, half podcast machine, back into Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call... Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking, C-Meds? What's good? Happy Treason Day to all my treacherous colonial traders, brothers and sisters. And, and as a people, we've really put together a hell of a country together here. I mean, it's not utopia. No place is perfect. We got a lot of problems here, just like anywhere else, but it's damn good living. In 247 years, this country has grown beyond our founding fathers' loftiest dreams. I mean, think about it. 247 years is nothing, a mere blip in the timeline of the earth. To this day, we continue to have growing pains as we have a constitutional blueprint that states that all men are created equal and have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And while... We may have this blueprint. Let's just say there have been moments, including in today's volatile world, where the laws of the country have not honored that preamble for all of our citizens in this great country. Hello, everybody. It's your boy, Jake Robinson. I've got your hookup. Holler if you hear me. I'm not going to get political here. Frankly, I don't care what your political affiliation is. I'm just going to keep it simple and say... Happy birthday, United States. As a former Navy CB, I salute all of our servicemen and women around the world. I know some of you are in some fucked up, dangerous situations right now. As I play podcasts and talk a child's game. Now, I'm sure there are soldiers, Marines, Airmen, Seamen around the world hearing my voice right now. I gotta think most of my international audience members. Are probably, you know, Americans serving our great country. I just want to say thank you for affording me to live under the umbrella of the American dream and preserving my freedom to say what the fuck I want on here. I hope you're safe and we here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network, we want you to know that you are not forgotten nor taken for granted by us. There's nothing I want more than peace around the globe with our allies and so-called enemies. But... It's a complicated time. I hope you eventually end up home and safe and maybe be the beacon of light to other countries with the message that peace, democracy, and freedom is always the best option over the spear. And while I'm draped in the American flag here, patting American heroes on the back around the world today, I just want to say how blessed I am to live here and to have become a fan of our country's national pastime. Baseball. Everything about baseball screams America. The food, the grass, the family, camaraderie, and the stories to pass down. It's the ultimate team sport filled with individual one-on-one challenges along the way. Like life. It's a game dominated by failure. But it is a reflection of our American spirit to shake off that strikeout with the run on third. Don't let that game-tying error you committed burden you. You're going to get your chance to atone later. And sometimes the most well laid out plan isn't working. You have to just, you learn from your mistakes and you get better. That's the American way, baby. And that's us in a nutshell, folks. It by no definition has been a troublesome pre ride from 1776 to the day. Some people would like to gloss over the past, get rid of books that deal with America's painful past. But how do you ever learn from that? Again, you shouldn't let your errors burden you, but you need to know what you did wrong so it's not to repeat it, dummy. Here at PKP, I, I keep historical and biographical accounts with no sugarcoating, no whitewashing. Errors were made, but no one in my audience should burden themselves with it. You weren't around; you had nothing to do with it. But it happened. We learn our lessons and we move on. And as Americans. We never let it happen again. And in order to never let it happen again, you have to know the story. History shouldn't be a mystery. Our story is real history, not his story. And I told you last month when I dropped Martin Digo, I wanted to start building the Negro Leagues wing here at Backwards K Pod where we collect ballplayers and their stories. We now have Moses Fleetwood Walker, The first known black man to play Major League Baseball in our collection, Josh Gibson in his prodigious power game, as well as Digo, who might be the greatest Negro leaguer ever. He is certainly the most versatile player in the history of baseball, for sure. Even more so than Natani, who, Jesus Christ, folks, I mean, he hit one 493 feet the other day. Now that's two days after striking out 10 and dropping two dogs in the same game. He is special. He is absolutely out of this fucking world. But even he got no chance of doing what Digo did in his day. Let's be real. So I feel like I have a good start here as I established the Negro League's wing at BKP. And this week, we're gonna talk about the draw. The face of Negro Leagues baseball. The reason for all those packed stadiums across our young country. This week, we're going to do a study of the ageless wonder, Leroy Satchel Page. And look, we have a lot of meat on them bones, and I probably rambled on too much here for the intro. So let's get this platform free. Kiss your loved ones goodbye. So I can load up our BKP time travel choo-choo as I call All Aboard. Uh And I'm going to set our time and destination for July 7th, 1906, Mobile, Alabama, where a child will be born who would defy his surrounding odds and obstacles as well as time to force all Americans to behold and admire his abilities. Satchel Page threw his first pitch as a professional baseball player in 1926 at the age of 19 for the Chattanooga White Sox, a team that played in the lower levels of the segregated Negro Leagues. His last pitch came in August of 1966 for a club in Virginia called the Peninsula Pilots. Now, in between those years, it is probably safe to say that Satch pitched more baseballs and more games and more stadiums for more teams versus more batters than any other player in the history of the game. I think it is also safe to surmise that no pitcher ever pitched at a higher level with more effective- effectiveness as long as Paige did. And here we are, folks. This is Mobile, Alabama, July 7th, 1906, at the home of the, uh, the, Page's, uh, the Page Household, where Satch's mom has been in labor with him for now for the past 27 hours. And with one big, long, exhausting push, Leroy. Robert Page is being delivered into the hands of a midwife, which quite honestly is more than most poor black women can afford in 1906 Mobile, Alabama. His mother Lula Lula, was the neighborhood washerwoman who was always under pressure to find ways to feed her four daughters and two sons who were birthed before Leroy. Satch would not remain the youngest for long as his mom would have five more kids born after him. His father John didn't worry himself about his growing brood. He spent his days loitering on the corner stoops, gambling the milk money on a game of dice. With his mother's poverty struggles and his father's ambivalence and his skin tone of smoked chestnuts born in the heart of the Confederacy, the newborn's future looked bleak, and it only got worse before it got better. So, let's talk about Mobile, Alabama a little bit here in 1906. For more than 200 years, Mobile had always welcomed outsiders, whether it was Irish Catholics freeing from, uh, fleeing from fr- famine, Jewish merchants, Creoles, the offspring of French or Spanish fathers and their chattel mothers. But during the post-Civil War period of Reconstruction, the lines of color and race are blurred in ways that were once unthinkable in Selma, Montgomery, Mobile, and pretty much the rest of Alabama. Unfortunately for Leroy, That live-and-let-live attitude towards race, it began to unravel entirely the year of his birth. That's when a local ordinance was mandated by law that separated blacks and whites on streetcars. Blacks were now barred from most restaurants, cemeteries, saloons, hotels, and brothels. Whites and blacks were no longer allowed to attend the same schools, marry one another, or even play baseball on the same field. Now, Leroy was still too young to understand the implications of Jim Crow, but within time, he understood the rules of the game, and it reinforced daily onto him by his native city. The only thing all the Page kids knew for a fact was, by the time you're six, you're responsible for putting food and money on the table. And as Satch would say, in a good year, maybe some shoes on your feet. Now, Leroy would scour the mobile, mobile Alleyways looking for bottles to cash in. He also helped deliver ice to the neighborhood at the age of eight. But around this time, Satch undergoes this huge growth spurt as he continues to fill out his parents, Lula and John, had higher expectations for the boys earning power. He begins to work at the L&N station as a porter and finds himself polishing the shoes of white travelers and carrying their bags to hotels such as Mobile's luxurious Battle House for as little as a dime. And realizing that a dime really ain't worth the time or effort, he gets a pole and some rope. And the young boy creates a contraption that lets him sling three or four satchels and cart them all at once. And while the other baggage boys would mock and laugh at Leroy, he had quadrupled his income. One day, one of the baggage boys says to him, you look like a walking satchel tree. And the description bit him to a T, and after that day, Leroy Page was no more. Satchel Page had taken over, and it was here to stay. His mother would eventually change the spelling of the last name Page, and... It was originally spelled P-A-G-E, but she changed it to P-A-I-G-E in hopes of making the family sound a little more high-toned. While he enjoyed playing baseball as a kid, it was in reform school where Satchel would become a straight baller. Two weeks before his 12th birthday, 1918, Satchel paid a sentence to the Alabama Reform School for Juvenile Negro Lawbreakers. Wow, what a name. <laughs> you know, even the jails are segregated. Uh, give me a fucking break. What a bunch of cavemen. So Paige found himself in trouble for frequently skipping school, and at the Ellison station, he began purloining uh suitcases and anything else he could take. The judge ordered him to a six long year stint. And it was only after the cage door shut that Paige realized he was not in a bad dream. This was for real. Now, fortunately for the baseball universe, and it, the game has a way of making the timelines work. And I spoke about this last week when Jeter was given the number two. Sometimes it's like baseball just has this mind and a life of its own. The game makes sure that the cream always rises to the top. Well, thankfully, Satch's new home offered him plenty of time to play and learn the game from the reformed school's baseball coach, Edward Bird. For the first time in Satch's life, he's he's uh, learning how to pitch. He's learning the mechanics and the fundamentals of the game. And for the first time, Satch is also interested in what he is learning. Like, really interested. And he goes all in on learning the craft of pitching. Bird's new young protege is all up and down. A slender beanpole of a kid rising over six feet tall as a 13-year-old and barely weighing 140 pounds. His wiry arms and stilt-like legs were aerodynamically suited to hurl a ball from the mound to the dish. And Bird recognized the boy's amazing ceiling and preached to the boy that his frame gave him the ideal momentum and strength. He was always amazed by the launching pad of Satchel's pitches. He had these huge hands, big enough to make a baseball look like a golf ball when he was holding one. And he had strong wrists that snapped with fury and violence. And he made the ball look like it was literally launched by a high-powered trebuchet. Byrd understood early in the process that Satchel's a special kid. He, he had worked with numerous black boys teaching them the game and about life for a black man in the segregated South, but Satch wasn't like any other boy he ever mentored. He had size, he had God-given talent, and the boy not only trusted him, but absorbed his lessons like a sponge. Again, he understood all these gifts that Satchel had are God-given. This growing man-child with his Outsized appetite, limbs, and talent. Now he became Bird's special project, and he was intent on teaching Satch to not squander the gifts but improve on them. He taught Paige about kinetic energy and how to exploit it with the still growing powerhouse frame. He taught Paige the, ki- the, the high leg kick that is so prevalent in Satchel Paige pictures today. He wanted Paige's big shoe to eclipse the sun when he threw it. He taught him deception, how to befuddle the hitters by throwing off their timing, the hesitation pitch. He wanted young Satch to stretch his arm out at the very, you know, the very furthest, every single inch of his delivery. He wanted hitters to feel like Snatch Satch could swipe their nose at the end of letting go of that rock. And so became the satchel pose that baseball fans still adore today. The delivery that set him apart for pitchers before and after him. The high leg kick. The left leg seemingly hanging there. His feet a good seven feet above the mound. And with his leg skyward, his right hand with the fastball grip stretched out as far as it can possibly go behind him that trebuchet is cocked and once it's released the ball, the baseball with maximum power is hurtling through the air with evil intentions towards home plate Coach Bird was always in his ear telling him that physical gifts are not all that you need for sustained success he taught Satch how to be cerebral Always on the lookout for a player's weaknesses, the way a bullfighter looks at his quarry. Look at the batter's feet, the position of his legs, where he stands in the box. Then put the ball where the batter can't touch it with any authority. And look, Satchel would do that better than anyone ever at that reform school. It was never really about accuracy in those days. It was Satchel's overpowering velocity that got him noticed. No curveballs, no sliders, no changeups or hesitation pitches yet. Just sheer, unadulterated power fastballs is what that kid brought to the table. He was still wild and untamed. And sometimes he would fall off the mound because he was just trying to throw the ball as hard as he could. However, unconventional and unorthodox, it may have looked back then. His fastballs looked like cannonballs coming out of, out, out of that pitcher's window with those huge paws for hands. He was a man among boys, and no one could touch him. By what must have looked like a mile. I mean, he just kept improving with Coach Bird in his ear. And looking back, Satchel once said, I traded five years of freedom to learn how to pitch. That's a great crow. So, look, you freaks. I think I'm going to take a break right here. Flower looks like she needs to take a piss. She's the best co-host ever. She never talks over me. She just lays her head at my feet and listens to me talk the seams, baby. Okay, let me take care of my pup, replenish my fluids, figure out how to bring this story back to the train station. Please support the grassroots sponsors that support your grassroots baseball podcast show. Labarose fish and crawfish hand cleaner. No more smelly hands. I'll get Pod Squatch to tell you all about it. BRB Preach. See you on the other side of the break with more Satchel Page.
1: Big Ted's Gage E, executive producer of Backwards k Follow. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boil. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the Fish and Hand Cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish and then washed my hands with regular soap only to touch my eyes half hour later and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun Old Bay Spice. Well, we also have a hand cleaner specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish and other seafoods, perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our craft hand cleaner, or the fishin' hand cleaner, an ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection, as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back to 1989. So he is family, folks, and one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets, crushing big bowls of shellfish or fishing on the banks of your favorite river while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in no fact, hey, Mom, where're my poles? I'm gone fishing. There is also a Buffalo Wing Hand Cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290 nine zero to support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's CrawfishHandcleaner dot com or 713-588-0290 to prepare for your summer timeshellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning crawfishhandcleaner dot com
5: Well, Sanch, I think uh, myself and a lot of other people Sunday got a big throw when they watched you out here pitch those last two innings against Buffalo in that first game.
0: Yes, Jack, that was my first try, you know, since we started to play out there. But I wasn't quite at myself at that time. All I had it was control. I didn't have nothing on my face, <laughs> You look pretty good to me, and I think that a
5: lot of people figure, well, maybe this is Sanch's last year. Maybe he's not going to be as good as he was last year. But I think you showed him out there Sunday that you're just as good, not better than you were last
0: year. Well, i try to keep up like that, but, Jack, I don't think this is my last year. I, I think I can play baseball about 15 or 20 more years. Well, i gonna keep up it. with Landry. <laughs> the way the way you throw
5: that ball, I think you'll do all right. Another thing, as long as you got to pitch against guys like Easter, you'll do all right, too, won't you?
0: Yes, I figure I know Easter a little, but he's going to probably get on me one, maybe one or two times this year, but he's going to have to hit what I want him to throw. <laughs> Sash, do you like to pitch down here in Miami where it's good and hot? Yes, I like it. I like it very well down here. I can just get off the bench and pitch down here. What does I hear about you having a new pitch this year? Yes, I got a new one, but every time I go in, we don't have but one run, and see, it's n- I can't show nothing up right there. And I yeah. got to go down with what I've been had for a couple of spells, you know. That's the fastball.
5: Uh, let me ask you this, Satch. You know, a great many years ago, well, not too many years ago, you pitched for Cleveland up there and did a tremendous job for them. Do you feel that right now that you can throw that ball just as good as you could
0: then? Yes, I do, Jack. I really, really believe I can throw it just like I did then. I threw it a little better because I don't got a little oil and I know more men. See, everybody come upon me. It's the first decade, and this is about my, myself i not. Too. What about the big leagues? Do you think you'd ever like to go back there and fix Satch? Yes, I would like to go back because everybody, Jack, think I'm so old and I, I cannot do this and I cannot do the other. And I want to show them that I can still play baseball regardless if they don't know my age, if they think I'm 107, it's still all right.
5: Well, I don't know how old you are, Sash, and maybe the other ballplayers don't either, but that fastball of yours looks just as good as it did many years ago. Jack, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't think it a very few
0: people in the United States know my age or where I come from even now, let alone know my age, because That's I've been playing ever since I was a kid. I never... Had a job, but still they say I'm a hundred years old. And everybody I meet, they say they played ball with me. Some of them's hundred, some of them's eighty-five and ninety.
5: <laughs> Satch, what do you have to have to get uh, be a real good pitcher? We'll say today. First thing is control
0: to throw the ball where you want to throw it. You don't need but one ball. I had kids with a slider, knuckle ball, and a screw ball, and a nightmare, the forty creep, and all those different balls. But if you just got one that you can get over anytime time you want and throw where you want to Jack, you don't need but That's the right. one. It's
5: just in other words all you need is a good fastball. That's right. In control.
3: Okay, so... Before I stepped off the train to gather myself, we were in the process of learning about the legendary Satchel Paige. He was born July 7th, 1906 in Mobile, Alabama, in abject poverty and as a second-class citizen because of his race. 1906 is the same year that the Jim Crow laws were first mandated and enforced across the state. This means that seemingly overnight, Everything became segregated, from the sh- from the seats on the streetcars and buses to the general use of water fountains, restrooms, schools, uh, bars, churches, even the prisons and cemeteries are segregated. You know, because God fucking forbid you die and get buried next to someone of a different race. I tell you, sometimes I'm just amazed how much backward-ass thinking humans got to go through before they evolve. But I digress. At the age of six, the Page children are responsible for kicking in food and money. Satchel, who's exponentially bigger than most of his kids his age, he starts out rummaging through the uh, mobile alleys for bottles to recycle. The sprouting boy was always uh, hungry. And eventually he gets a job as a porter at the LN House, an upscale hotel for affluent white travelers. In those days. And up until this time. He is just known as Leroy. The beanpole negro kid. Who could barely afford shoes. And one day at work. He attaches a rope to a stick. So he can carry more bags than the other porters. And one of the other porters says. You look like a tall satchel tree. And after that. Everyone called him Satch. His mother would eventually change the spelling of the last name. Because she felt it was more dignified to see. P-A-I-G-E rather than P-A-G-E page. By the time he is 12, Satchel is skipping schools, always on the run from the chewing officers, and he's also begun to uh, steal from customers' bags at the L&N house. He's arrested, and the judge orders him to five years in the Alabama Reform School for Negro Juvenile Lawbreakers in Megs, Alabama. And like most red blooded American boys of his day, Satchel enjoyed baseball, but it was in the reform school with Coach Edward Byrd where he learned how to pitch and excel at the game. And, okay, I think that's the gist of the story I was trying to convey in the first act. So let's get this train back on track after our little reset there. So, upon his release, Satchel would put all those Coach Bird lessons to work for a season of Negro League teams, starting with the Chattanooga team I mentioned in the beginning. He would then progress on to bigger and better Negro League organizations in Birmingham, Baltimore, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Kansas City. He would become the draw, the player that Negro League fans were willing to spend hard-earned money on just to get a glimpse of the growing legend. As their best drawing card, he started multiple games a day in different cities, but he may leave the game in the third or fourth inning to get back on the road for his next lineup to destroy. Due to these early exits, his appearance lacked the necessary innings to earn him a win, but enough to be stuck with the loss. That's something you always have to keep into account when you're breaking down Satch's numbers. Those records also Do not include his barnstorming records that he did for over 40 years between games and seasons playing against semi-pros, sandlot lizards, and major leaguers from California to the Caribbean. Even his official Negro League games records are not complete or totally reliable since the league could not afford statisticians nor record keepers. The solutions-oriented page... Just like back in the day with that Satchel stick uh, invention of his, he would find a way to defy the shadowy system by keeping his own meticulous records. Wherever Satchel played, he was always lugging around his notebook that he used to keep track of all his innings pitched, games, strikeouts, walks, wins, and most importantly to Satchel, the attendance of the gate as well as his take to the penny. The Page Almanac, as it became to be known, had Satchel in more than 2,500 games with around 2,000 wins. To the best of his recollection, he played for over 250 teams. He has witnessed, to but unverified to having struck out 22 batters against an MLB barnstorming team, which of course would have been an all-time record for all of baseball. The records in the Page Almanac indicate that Satch had 50 no-hitters, 29 starts in one month, 21 straight wins, 62 consecutive scoreless innings, 153 pitching appearances in a year. Three wins on the same day at three different venues, and there is a no day in which he threw a no-hitter in Pittsburgh and a shutout that same night in Chicago. The numbers in their entirety are overwhelming, but if we're being fair, each stat must be looked at as fairly accurate and with some apocryphal elements blended in. Satchel kept his records the way he played the game, with grace, player, and a whole lot of self-promotional smoke. The sportswriters of the day, they would press Page and showing his stats and notes throughout his career, and he would often acquiesce to their pleas. His tally for no hitters was as low as twenty games in some books, and as high as a hundred in others. Still, on another page in the no hitter column, it read so many. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. You know, I don't even know the number. It's just so fucking many. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Satchel always understood that shrouding himself with apocryphal myth and legend would keep him on the MLB's radar for the day that the color line would be smashed. He would never allow age or mere human stats to keep him from the show, no matter how long it took. But, just when any serious statistician might be tempted to dismiss it all as horseshit, closer scrutiny would suggest that much of it is probably pretty close to, if not totally true. Pitching in 2,500 games sounds Inconceivable when you figure former South Paul Jesse Orozco owns the MLB record for appearing in 1,252 games. But you have to consider that Jesse's numbers are just for the big leagues. Where he had a 24-year career starting every April and ending, if lucky, in October. Sachs' appearance consisted of games played as semi-pro and professional in the Negro Leagues, barnstorming tours in the U.S., Latin America, Canada... As well as his eventual stints in the minors and major leagues. He played baseball all four seasons every year. Okay? Winter, fall, spring, summer. Wherever it's warm, that's where he's going to play baseball. While, you know, like I said, most games he would only put in three or four innings of work. He did this every day or two. Sometimes twice or three times in a 24-hour span for 41 years. By that schedule, pitching in 2,500 career games averages out to more than 60 games a year, which kind of feels low to me. The same holds true for many of his other assertions. In retrospect, 100 no-hitters or even 20 may hold skepticism when you understand that, Nolan Ryan is the MLB record holder with seven no-no's, and the next closest is Sandy Koufax with four. But, press accounts have been verified for at least one of those versus the Homestead Grays, an elite ball club with an always loaded roster. So, it's really not that hard to envision old Satch schooling these sandlot teams he faced while traveling the Western Hemisphere. Throughout time, some pitchers have displayed brilliance during short runs of glory and greatness. Now, I think of uh, Sadie Koufax, Tim Lipscomb, Johan Santana. Still others made their legends from duration, as well as dominance. Guys like Phil Necro, Jamie Moyer, Bill Lee. Well, Satchel excelled at both, to the point where it is difficult to separate facts from the apocryphal. And even more difficult to overstate his many accomplishments or dismiss even his most breathtaking of outrageous boasts. The stats came into focus much clearer when he finally reaches the majors in 1948 as a spry 41-year-old rookie for Bill Beck and the Cleveland Indians, who were already reaping the wards of Larry Doby, the first African-American to play in the junior circuit. A few days after his signing, July 7th, 1948, his 42nd birthday, Satchel Paige has finally reached the major leagues, and he still has enough gas in the tank to astound the fans as a piece on that impressive Indian staff that included such stalwarts as uh, Bob Feller, Bob Lemon, Gene Bearden, Steve Gromack. In his rookie year, the A just wanted to six 6-1 with a 2.48 ERA for an amazing 8.57 winning percentage. 21 games with 7 starts. 2 shutouts and a save. In 72 and 2 thirds innings pitch, he strikes out 43, walks 22, and he surrenders only 2 home runs. A 2.88 pip, a 1.14 whip, and a 165 ERA plus, which is... Second on that team, only behind Gene Bearden's 168. He was so impressive that sports writers were left to wonder what Sachs would have done to big league hitters in his prime. They also gave him 12 first place votes for the 1948 Rookie of the year award, which was good enough for him to come in fourth place. He only, he not only succeeded at his advanced age, he helped the Indians win their last World Series title to date that year when they beat the Boston Braves four games to two. And that was the best of his six seasons at the show, two of which he played with Cleveland, Uh, before donning a St. Louis uniform for three years, as well as one last unforgettable game with Charles O'Finley and the Kansas City A's. At the age of 52 years, two months, eight days, he took the mound for the Athletics in 1965. The oldest pitcher to ever take the bump in baseball history, a record that still stands today and may never be broken, quite honestly. He was two years older than the next oldest player in the game that day, 33 years older than the catcher. Satchel Paige seemed older than the game of baseball itself that night, but he absolutely annihilated the Red Sox lineup for three innings, showing flashes of his younger dominant self. He needed just 28 pitches to get nine outs, striking out one and walking no one. He toyed with the Sox lineup, forcing pop-ups and horsey grounders to his infielders. And the only hit by red-sex batter that day was uh, Hall of Famer Cal Yastrzemski and his double. And after the game, Yaz expressed his respect for Page and spoke wistfully about the time he had seen his father bat against Central generations earlier in a semi-pro game on Long Island. Well, Satchel Page is staying in the
4: ballgame. He goes to the fourth inning. He's had an easy three innings. He's had to throw a minimum number of pitches. He hasn't walked anybody. Went to 3-0 and oh on Yastrzemski, and Yastrzemski pounded a double off the left field wall. So Satch, with that baseball cap, cocked jauntily off to the left side of his head, going through his warm-up tosses to Bill Bryant. At the end of three innings of play, the California Angels nothing and Baltimore nothing. If Baltimore loses that game, the Minnesota Twins have clinched the pennant. See, and uh, the Twins are close enough there in Washington that they're probably able to listen to the broadcast of that Baltimore game tonight. You better believe they are hanging word by word. Satchel Page is on the mound. Haywood Sullivan has gone out. He's going to take Satchel out of the ballgame here. Well, I think this was pretty well the agreement that Satchel was going to pitch three innings here tonight. Well, Satch took his warm-up tosses here prior to the start of this inning. And now they're going to bring him out of the ball game. Well, when he comes out, you'll see quite a hand for him, or hear quite a hand for him, I'll tell you that. That was certainly a very exciting three innings of baseball. For the fans here, he allows only one hit. I know there are a lot of them who are probably wondering, oh, why take him out now? The second time around, might be a little bit different. So, Segui is just about now on the mound. He's been given the baseball. Satch shakes his hand. And here he comes. Standing ovation and he has twice Docked his cap to the crowd here And actually bowed to them The A's players in the dugout Standing at attention as Satch comes by Their clapping hands So Satchel Page has done his duty here tonight And what a job he did For the A's Bonnie, he put on a great show Giving up only one hit to Carl Yastrzemski He walked nobody which amazed A lot of people I'm sure And he struck out one along the way Pitching three innings of almost perfect ball here tonight at Municipal Stadium. Whether he is 23, 53, 63, or 73, as some say, he really showed a lot of people that he still has that old love of the game, and boy, his arm is still there. What a guy, Satchel Page. Diego Segui, the new pitcher for Kansas City, has been quite a busy man. He's been in the bullpen since the 18th of August, and has been in there for nine
3: outings. All
4: told this year,
3: Seguilla. Diego Se- Segui. That's David Segee's pops right there. Uh, in the end, all of his barnstorming, Negro Leagues exploits, international dominance, as well as his limited play in the majors, it gave the denizens of baseball reason enough to a duck satchel in the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1971. The very first vintage Negro Leaguer to be included into the House of the Immortals. Satchel's last few years on the planet were quiet ones, much too quiet for the gregarious personality of Satchel Paige. His last appearance in public was June 5th, 1982 in Kansas City, where he spent most of his adult years with his wife, LaHoma, and their seven children. The deep belly laughter and roar was gone from his voice as he wheeled closer to the microphone. The oxygen tube strapped to his face rattled as it slowly moved across the infield diamond dirt while in his right hand was a baseball being gripped for dear life as if Satchel was hanging on to the one thing in his life that always gave him an identity, a purpose. They were dedicating a baseball stadium in his honor that day with his namesake uh, near his home and the decrepit stadium It was loaded with weeds and roots, taking over the diamond. And the legendary pitcher was saying, you know, I hope the next time I see you guys, I can stand up. And friends who knew of his dire condition had rushed to organize the naming ceremony in hopes that it would lift his spirits. Two days later, Kansas City was targeted by a torrential rainfall that tore down trees and knocked out the power. Satchel had woken from a nap with a headache. The next day, on the 8th of June, 1982, Satchel was having problems finding a comfortable position to lie or sit in. His arm is throbbing, and he has the chills all day. So, his wife, LaHoma, she applies a warm bottle to Satchel's arm. She drapes a jacket over him before heading out into the storm to get some ice to protect the food from spoilage during the outage. Well, while she's gone, Carolyn, his second oldest daughter, notices Satchel is in a methodical date. Daddy, Daddy, can you hear me? All Satch could mutter was a groan. Carolyn calls the paramedics, but their trip to the Page House is stalled by fallen trees littering the roadways. In the meantime, LaHoma gets home and tries to resuscitate Satch with CPR. His heart gives out in the ambulance on the way to the hospital and he was pronounced dead at one fifteen at Truman Medical Center. Looking back, it is more than his memorable pitching form, top shelf liquor play that made Page stand apart from his teammates and rivals. There was his role as a racial pioneer, a role that often gets lost in the bluster and showmanship of his baseball DNA makeup. He had crossover appeal in an era of segregated baseball. He pitched well enough to appeal to the white sports writers, so much so that they would pack the press booth to watch black baseball. He barnstormed throughout North and South America alongside Dizzy Dean, Bob Beller, Caucasian superstars, winning them over to him uh, not only by his ability, but you know, and, and his personality, but to the notion that black ball players can indeed play baseball at the highest level. He drew the spotlight to himself first, and inevitably to the monarch's own second baseman, Jackie Robinson. Satchel Page had been hacking away at that color line long before anyone knew who Jackie Robinson was. Satchel laid the groundwork for Jackie to follow. He is a symbol of his craft as well as his race. But the great thing is, Satchel today, he's not merely known for being a great black pitcher. He is known for being one of the all-time great hurlers, period. Which, in itself, shows you how far the country has come as we celebrate her 247th birthday today. And the truth is, Satchel Paige, more than anyone, opened the door of our national pastime for African-Americans, forever changing the sport and the country for the better. Negro League and New York Giants icon, Hall of Famer, Monty Irvin.
6: Satchel Paige was an unbelievable character. Uh, He was blessed with one of the best arms ever. I think they only had one sore arm and. In uh, 87 years, you know, I think that's about how old he was, 87, 88, 89, in there someplace. And when he passed on. But when I first saw him, he was only, uh, he was 35 when I first met him. And he didn't have a curveball in. He threw you fastballs in and out, um, up and down. And what made him so effective was that he knew how to pitch and he knew where to, where to, Where to place the ball had uh, just wonderful control. He could throw a ball over uh, a cigarette butt or whatever. And uh, that's why he was so successful. Now, when I first met him, first batted against him, he struck me out four times. And he said to me, he said, Money, he said, you know, I just want to give you a tip. He said, you'll never hit me. I said, no, why not? He said, you hold your bat too high. He said, by the time you get the bat down and around, he said, I'll buy you and gone. I said, okay, well, I'll try You know, try to drop my bat a little bit. So, in about a month, we played again. And you know, at that time, see, he only got me twice. You know? So he said, see, see, there's 50% uh, uh, improvement. I said, so, I said, you gonna teach me how to hit you? I said, it doesn't make sense. He said, just because I say it doesn't mean you're going to do it. (laughs) I don't think anybody hit him successfully, you know. You get a hit off him once in a while, but that was mere luck. He was uh, one of the best pitchers I've ever seen.
3: I think that's where we're going to end it this week. Remember, folks, these shows are merely a template. To do an in-depth biography on Satchel Paige would take at least seven hours in my estimation. There's a lot of stuff out there on this fascinating baseball legend. There's books, movies, YouTube videos, old newspapers, as well as interviews and radio play-by-play calls out there. And that rabbit hole is endless. Once you go down in it, there's no telling what you're going to find. And before I slither out of here today... Let's take a look at those Satchel Paige stats. Well, the ones that we can at least verify. Keep in mind that the data is incomplete. We have 17 years of verified Negro League numbers, but there's still a whole lot of years missing. So let's see here. Leroy Robert Satchel Paige is born July 7th, 1906. So three days after the show drops, the baseball universe should pay homage to this pioneering legend, as he will be celebrated for his 117th birthday posthumously in many corners of the world, including his hometown of Mobile, Alabama, and his adopted home of Kansas City, Missouri. He died June 8, 1982, at the age of 75, and he's buried in Forest Hill Cemetery, out in KC. And again, Take these numbers for what they are. It's missing years of data, but Satchel is verified to have a 47-war, going 124-82 and with a career 2.73 ERA. He had 17 years of verified Negro League stats with the Kansas City Monarchs, Birmingham Black Barons, Pittsburgh Crawfords, Cleveland Cubs, and the New York Black Yankees. Eight years of verified monarch stats. He goes thirty-two and twenty-three with a two-point-three-six ERA. Four years with the Black Barons. He goes thirty-six and seventeen with a two-point-nine-three ERA. He has three years verified with the Crawfords, going twenty-five and ten with a two-point-one-six. One thousand two hundred seventy-five verified innings pitched in the Negro leagues. One thousand two hundred thirteen verified strikeouts. Only two hundred eighty-three walks. It is 17 years of Negro League's verified stats. Wait for it. Sachs only gave up 15 home runs, folks. 1,275 innings pitched, 15 home runs surrendered. 3,381 verified batters faced, 15 home runs, people. That's insane. My brain just fucking melted. So, 2.36 ERA, right? A 1.43 FIP. He averaged 8-point strikeouts for 9, 1.02 whip, and a crazy ERA-plus of 171. He played for three teams in the majors after the call-up in 1948, the Tribe, the St. Louis Browns, and the Kansas City A's. He went 28-31 with a 3.29 ERA, 179 games, 26 starts. He hurled 7 complete games, 4 shutouts, 33 saves, 476 innings pitched, 2002 batters faced, 288 strikeouts, 180 walks, 3.29 fip, 1.28 whip, and a 124 ERA. So, even at an advanced age in his 40s, Satchel was very productive. He won a World Series ring with the Cleveland Indians in 1948, and in 1971, he is inducted into the House of the Immortals as the Negro League's. Uh, committee, they voted him into the Hall of Fame, the first vintage Negro League player to be vetted for that honor. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's just crazy. I wish I could have seen this cat play, man. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, C-Meds of all ages, this is the story of Satchel Page and. I am so thrilled to have in our vault of archives as the Negro League wing continues to expand with these American heroes of another era. And I would be remiss if we didn't end this week with the beloved Buck O'Neill. And I was always told that if someone can, uh, your, end your speech better than you, you just let them do it, quote them, whatever you gotta do. And, you know, Buck, he was the Negro League's gatekeeper until his passing a few years back. Thankfully, he has turned that responsibility over to Bob Kendrick from the Negro League's museum at the corner of 8th and Vine in Kansas City. But Buck was a national treasure as he played with and against, and he saw them all. A great story here. Every story Buck ever told was great. But, uh, you know, here, check this out.
7: We get two outs, and so we lead the ball game by a couple of runs. Two outs in the ninth inning. Jerry Benjamin hit the ball down the third base line. It hit in foul territory, bounced foul. In the foul territory, he stands up triple. Well, we got two outs. Sasha called me, Nancy. He said, Nancy, you know what I'm thinking to do? I said, yeah, I know you're going to get this other guy out. Let's go home. He said, no, I'm going to walk. I <laughs> I'm going to walk these guys and I'm going to walk Buck Leonard, yeah, and, and I'm going to pitch to Josh Gibson. And I said, no, man, don't be facetious. He said, you call it what you want, but that's what I'm going to do. So Frank Duncan was the manager. I said, time. Skipper, come out and tell. And I want you to hear what this fool is saying. I said, Satcha, tell him what you said. And uh, Sacha told him. And uh, uh, Frank looked up in the stands. We got maybe 35,000 people in the ballpark. He said, Well and Buck, you see these people in the ballpark? That's what they're here to see Josh, uh, Satchel and Josh. Let him do what he wants. I said, Okay, it's your ballgame. Okay. He he he, he walked with one guy, then he walked Buck Leonard, and here comes Josh and that bat looked that long, man. And he said, Josh, remember when we played with uh playing with the Crawfords? We were travelling over the mountains going east and I I said uh you know, I think you're the greatest hitter in the world. I know I'm the best pitcher in the world. And said, but one day we're going to be on opposite side. Said, this is the time. I said, oh, throw the ball, Satcher. Okay. Satcher said, now I'm going to throw you some fastball. 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Boom. Strike one. He said, I'm going to throw you another fastball, but it's going to be a little faster than that one. Throw the ball, Satchel. Boom. 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Strike two. He said, now, nah, you know, I got the two strikes and no balls. Now, I'm supposed to knock you down, move you off the plate, but I'm not going to throw any smoke at your yoke. I'm going to throw a pee at your knee, 105-mile fastball. Boom, right down the middle. Josh, don't move the bat. The ball game's over. We go walking off the field. six four, and looked like he was 7 feet tall. He said, you know what, Nancy? I said, what, Sasha? He said, nobody. Nobody hits Sasha's fastball. I said, I guess you're right.
1: <laughs> story about... Satchel
7: pitching against Babe Ruth? Well, and actually, we playing, and we playing the Babe Ruth All-Stars. And uh, we're in Chicago, and we on, we're on the south side in Chicago. And the field, they had big cedar trees with the outfield. And, uh, oh, man, it must have been day, near 400 feet out there. And the first pitch Satchel through Ruth, he hit it over those trees. And you know how Ruth amble around the bases? You know who met him at home plate? Satcher was congratulated. They held the ball up, the ball game up, 15 minutes for a kid to go out and get this ball, bring it back so Ruth could autograph the ball for Satchel Page. That was Satchel and Ruth. Do you think
1: he get, grooved them a nice pitch,
7: or huh? Do you think he grooved them a nice pitch? No, he didn't have to. Babe Ruth, he didn't have to groove Babe Ruth no pitch. Uh oh. <laughs> you could <can> hear yeah.
3: <laughs> And that's so what he Do you think he grew to the pits that babe Ruth? Get the fuck out of here, yo. That's hilarious. I I I can listen to him tell stories all day, man. When he goes, uh I ain't gonna throw no smoke at the at the yoke at your yoke, I'm gonna throw some peas at your knees, yo, that just about had me dying right there. So You know, God bless him, man. I miss that dude so much. And I think that's how we're going to end this Satchel bio. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed presenting Satchel Story Team Freaks. And I will certainly try to be better next week. I'm all tangled up in the web, brah. You can find me on all platforms, wherever you listen to your pods. Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitcher. I even Alexa rolls with the snake. Call, call backwards K out my name at her and she'll roll over face down ass up. You feel me? If you are able to rate and review my performance on any of these platforms, please do so as you see fit. I ain't scared. I do what I do when I do it and, I, and no one does it better. Facts. Your rates and comments they enhance my search engine profile helps me to beat the fucking dog and folks. She ain't in a couple of days. She's looking at me like I'm a pork chop. So do me a favor, good brothers and sisters, and hook me up with some stars and some tips. I will never, ever charge you for the baseball content here at Backwards K Pod. No Patreon, no Twitch, no pay-to-play crowdsourcing. i love and respect my audience too much. And look, peanut butter costs $8 now. I'm never going to make you choose between me and goddamn peanut butter. I'm just going to roll up my sleeves, do the work, come through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. So, with the uh, Satchel page story folded up nicely, hanging in our collection, it's getting smaller and smaller in my rear view mirror, I now turn my attention to our baseball hydra and I chop. <laughs> The head of the beast, only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. Next week, uh, we're going to go back and add to our stadium collection as we are headed out to Denver in that thin, rocky mountain air as I will be doing a deep dive on the history of Coors Field, home of the Colorado Rockies. So, thin air, crazy power numbers, humidors, dinosaur bones, that's what we got coming next week, folks. But look, you know the deal, you cement freaks. That's another story. Pour another pod here at Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. You can always reach out to me. I love shooting the shit with the bands. You can email the show backwardskpod at gmail.com. The show Twitter page is at back underscore k underscore podcast. My personal Twitter handle is at JRobby1. That's J R O B V I E in the number one. Our YouTube channel is Backwards K Pod, and you can always find me at the most comprehensive and friendly baseball interactive private Facebook group page, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Answer the questions, come on in, and join the fun. And I think that does it. Man satchel motherfucking page in my catalog of bangers man i love my job thank you all for making this possible for me to live out my dream every week i love you guys happy treason day god bless our troops and god bless the world wherever you are parents if you see your kid looking bored af they got their nose in their phone by all means take those little ragamuffins outside And play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shea Hillenbrand told me in our one-on-one sparring session last summer in the dojo, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. (laughs) Ha! See you next week, freaks. Peace.